So, what we're going to talk about this morning is out of John 18, verses 12 through 27, we're going to talk our worldview versus the Christ view. So, we'll go ahead and go uh, read the text together. Um, starting in verse 12, it says, So the band of soldiers and their captain, officers of the Jews, arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the to the world, and I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then set him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter also standing. Um, now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, "You also are not one of his disciples, are you?" He denied it and said, "I am not." One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, "Did I not see you in the garden with him?" Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. It's an amazing story, and, and you'll see the story in the, in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke as well, with varying degrees of, uh, of detail. Uh, John actually has the most streamlined account of, of Peter's denial, but he also has an account in the middle of it uh, this this uh, interlude uh, between Jesus and Annas, uh, the high priest, um, that, that really gives us insight. And so what, what you'll see from the garden, where Jesus has this interlude with Peter, you know, put your sword away, and then onward to the courtyard here, Peter's denial, then going to Jesus before Annas, and then back to Peter, that, that this story is really a dovetail of Jesus' interaction, Jesus' way with men, and, and Peter's interaction as well. Just a little bit of a, a, a background here. Uh, let's see, this will start there. In the Garden of Gethsemane up here, at kind of the northeast side of Jerusalem. And so it's about a mile walk then back through the lower city up into the upper city to Caiaphas' residence. Uh, this is a high priest's house. Uh, uh, also, courtyard maybe had uh, had different uh, 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 living quarters around it. So, so 
as we switch back and forth between Caiaphas and Annas here, uh, it really is probably the same location. So we've got about a mile walk. So Annas was a high priest from about 6 to 15 AD. He, he uh, was followed in office by five sons, a grandson and one son-in-law in Caiaphas. Uh, he was deposed in 15 AD by Valerius Gratus, uh, who's a prefect of, of Judea. Now, anytime a high priest was deposed uh, and another one came in their place, they still maintained that title. They were still considered a high priest. It's kind of like us when, when a new president comes in. Uh, you know, we talk about President Jimmy Carter, we talk about George W. Bush, President Bush, President Obama. Those titles are not taken away. So when it talks about Annas here as a high priest, it's not a contradiction. Caiaphas is the high priest in charge of the Sanhedrin. He is put in place in AD 18, uh, and he holds that position for 18 years. But Annas is, is kind of, I don't know, as I was reading about it, he's kind of the godfather of the high priest, right? You know, he's, got, he's, he's an incredibly powerful man. And many of the Jews, because he was deposed, really resented the Romans for that, that they considered him still to be the high priest, although the Romans took him out. So, so they went to him first, maybe because of his seniority, maybe because of his, his power, his upper echelon uh, with regards to the priesthood. But then they had to go to Caiaphas to get his formal endorsement as, as the president of the Sanhedrin in order then to take the charge to Pilate. Now, something about timing here, you know, they went out into the garden late at night, and, uh, you know, the disciples were falling asleep, so it was pretty late. It was probably about midnight when the soldiers came to take them away. And then you've got about an hour uh, walk or so. To, uh, so this, this uh, interlude in the courtyard probably started 1 to 2 a.m., and it went through the rest of the night. So when... When the rooster crowed, it would have been 4 o'clock in the morning, 4.30. You know, uh, you know, as I understand it, out on the farm, roosters don't wait till daylight. They get an early start. And so the rooster crowing would have been somewhere around 4 or 5 a.m. The reason that they went all night is that Pilate started at the crack of dawn, and he generally worked uh, off his workload by about 10 a.m. That's a good gig, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so put in a, a real intense four hours of work, and, and you're done for the day. Uh, you got the rest of the day. Uh, so they wanted to be first on the docket, so they made sure they, they had their charges in line, so they went through the night before uh, they went to Caiaphas and then to, to Pilate. So uh, one other thing about Caiaphas, and you can read this in John chapter 11, he was the one, as is noted here, that, that actually prophesied about Jesus. He said in, in uh, chapter 11, he said, but one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being, I'm sorry, there we go. You're kind of wondering, where is this guy at? Okay, it's, it's right here. You know, if you guys want to come up and take a look. It's, um, so he did not say this of accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So this is Caiaphas. He says this thing, and he doesn't even understand what he's saying, the full implications of what he's saying. But he he pegs it. 
This is why Jesus came. So I, I mentioned earlier that this account is kind of leaner. Uh, this is F.F. F. Bruce, a, a, a very famous biblical scholar. He says, the account is leaner, quietly veiled. The effect is to emphasize the fulfillment of Jesus' words to Peter in 1336, that you will deny me three times. And to make it clear that Peter cannot follow Jesus until Jesus had died for him. Now that last statement there might be a little bit strange to you, but I, I, I think as we talk, that will really uh, come through to you. That until Jesus died for Peter, Peter really didn't have a correct understanding. Peter didn't really have a correct view. Uh, his, his Christ view was wrong until the crucifixion and sin is red. Has anybody ever seen this statement? Uh, it says, before you criticize somebody, you should walk a mile in their shoes. Yeah? Okay, well, I like the alternate form of it that says, before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you're a mile away and you have their shoes. So we're, we're going to walk a mile with Peter. We're not going to take the sandals, but we're going to walk a mile. And I want you to think, what would be in Peter's mind as all of a sudden his understanding of who Jesus was actually blew up in his face in the garden? And he had a mile to contemplate this as he followed from a distance as this band of hundreds of uh, soldiers and, and the chief priests and their guard and all the officials made their way through the city at, at 1 o'clock in the morning. His mind is just reeling. This is the state that Peter was in when he came into the garden. So we're going to talk about something uh, that, that's called worldview. And what a worldview is, is it's a particular philosophy of life or conception of the world. For instance, the statement, I have broadened my worldview by experiencing a whole new culture. Now, one of the things about church here is we have a mashup of a whole bunch of different cultures. And so you have worldviews that have been trained or uh, kind of infused into you through your upbringing, through experiences that you've had, uh, through, through maybe very traumatic experience or maybe great experiences. These experiences all come into your life and they kind of develop a framework of how you interpret life, how you interpret the world around you. And we're not just talking about the world as in the globe. I mean, the, the word world used a lot in the New Testament is cosmos. Uh, and, you know, we get world, universe, from the idea of cosmos. How we interpret the cosmos, the world around us, the universe around us, how we interpret life. Next definition here is a comprehensive conception or apprehension of the world, especially from a specific standpoint. That's your worldview. It's your frame of reference. It's how you think, how you process things that come in through your eyeballs and then get sorted out of your head. That's your worldview. That's your filter. That's how you make sense of things. A few different pictures just to talk, talk about different worldviews. This is Fergie walking through or running through a, a crowd. She's got dark glasses on and headphones on. And that's a very common thing that you see with people going through crowds is they have their, their beats on and their, their shades on, right? 
What's the message? Uh, leave me alone. Okay? My worldview is I just have to navigate these obstacles in front of me. I don't care if they're concrete or whether they're human beings. They're obstacles. Don't. I'm not going to talk to you, and that's the way I'm going to navigate life. Now, first we had other issues. She had Pavarazzi walk, running around after her, and we don't necessarily have that. She probably had extra incentive, but... Uh, you know, if you go get on the metro up in D.C., and I did this a, a couple years ago, I came in deliberately without headphones on, without my phone out, and I would find somebody that was tuned into what they were reading with headphones and sit down next to them and strike up a conversation. Usually they had, they had to pull the earbud out or whatever. I would kind of force them to talk. I had the best discussions, and they actually appreciated it. We talked about music, we talked about family, we talked about whatever. Uh, but, but I was just like, I can't sit here and allow people just to get into their own world. We've got to have this interaction. We've got to make connections here. It was really fun. It was a great social experiment for me. Uh, this, this one in the middle, uh, you know, uh, the accidental tourist. I don't, how many of you have seen that? Uh, probably not a lot of you. It's, this is, uh, uh, oh, what's his name? Help me out. Pardon? Yeah, William Hurst. Uh, he is accidental tourist. He's a businessman, and he actually has written a book, I believe. He wrote a book on how to navigate through airports, airlines, how to go on business trips with, with the least possible problems. And so he's, he, he's all about efficiency. I'm going to get through life efficiently. And here's how I deal with these interruptions that come along. And then he meets this, this woman that's on the, the, the left-hand side. And she is a free spirit. She's just all over the place. She's a mess, but she is just love and life. And the, the movie is about this, this clash of, of worldviews and, and, uh, and a, a budding romance. And I won't ruin it for you. you can, I don't even know if you can find it on Netflix. But uh, it's, it's a good movie. He alphabetizes everything in his cabinets, kitchen cabinets, and everything. So the last one over here, uh, you know, Ruth and I have had the pleasure uh, over many years, uh, you know, previous lifetimes of, of, of dealing with people that, they're the kind of people that if ever you ask them how they're doing, you better be prepared for, for a blast of issues, of problems, of crises, of things happening in their lives. You know, it's never a, fine, how you doing? It's a, oh, I'm glad you asked. And then it goes on. So just one crisis after another. And every time I get into one of these conversations, I think about this far side picture. This is a crisis clinic where people with crises go. And of course, the crisis clinic is on fire, and it's drifting down a river, flooded, and it's headed for a waterfall. Because it's Everybody's there in crises, and if, if they don't have one, you know, just look out the window. Um, but, you know, there are people sometimes that, that, unless they have something dramatic going on in their lives, they just don't feel like life is living, or they're living. So their worldview is, life is a crisis. We're not talking about anybody in this room, okay? All right. And, and as your elder, to hear you want to shepherd you, Correctly, I want to be able to empathize with you. Uh, this is 
a way, an underhanded way for me to say, leave me alone, okay? Uh, Peter's worldview. Um, I started to think earlier uh, about what would uh, really uh, cause Peter to have these reactions. Um, Matthew 16, after he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and, and Jesus says, uh, heaven didn't, you know, heaven revealed this to you. Um, and then uh, and Peter, he talks about uh, the Son of Man will go uh, to Jerusalem, suffer, uh, be killed, third day rise from the dead. And, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far, from, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but the things of men. So even though Peter acknowledges Jesus as a Christ, just a few seconds later, Jesus rebukes him for having a worldview that taints his Christ view. Okay? You know, a lot of people talk about the, the denial of, of, of Peter, uh, uh, or Peter's denial of Jesus. And we've got a, a standard way of looking at it, don't we? Uh, Peter wimped out. The, the pressure, the peer pressure was too much. And so he caved. What a wimp. We don't want to be like Peter. We want to have courage. We don't want to not deny Jesus. Right? End of sermon? Yay. No. Um, I, I don't believe it's that simple. But, but I did a search on the internet and said, okay, why did, why did Peter deny Jesus? And it, it, it was really kind of sad that people went for that, that standard thing really digging into it. Here's, here's one. I, I'm not even going to give the references to these because I agree with them. Uh, uh, he says the answer is simple. He was afraid. And then he, he says a little bit lower, uh, he says, would we have done any better? Remember, Jesus was as much a man as anyone else. He was subject to the same frailties and weaknesses that any of us would be subject to. So, Peter was afraid. That was, that's, that's it. I, I pegged it. He, uh, Peter was afraid. Well, how about this one? In the courtyard, Peter was with the wrong people in the wrong place at the wrong time, about to do the wrong thing. A little lower, it says, we think we, think we are influencing others, but the question is, are, are they influencing us? So this person's reaction was, hanging out with the wrong people, went in the courtyard and hung out by the fire, and they were bad people. He shouldn't have been with them, and that caused his demise. Okay. So like I said, standard interpretation, uh, intimidated, wimped out. Uh, the moral of the story then is we need to be courageous and not deny Jesus. Well, I don't know about you, but when I think about who Peter was about two and a half hours before this, and if you picture up to a thousand Roman soldiers there in full garb, and as we know from the other Gospels, Jesus and his little band of disciples have two itty-bitty swords, I don't know why they gave one to Peter. That wasn't very smart. But he decided he was going to yank out that sword and he was going to draw first blood. He was going to get this, this rumble started. He was, he was going to go down in flames 
fighting and defending Jesus, the odds were terrible. But does that sound like a wimp? Maybe somebody with, with not really good judgment, but not a wimp. This was a courageous man. So what happened in that mile? Peter really felt that Jesus was the Christ. That was not in doubt. John 6, he says, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Matthew 16 says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And even his cohorts, the rest of the disciples, they had the same view. In John 11, right uh, around the story of Lazarus, Thomas says, uh, Let us go also with Jesus back to Judea so that we may die with him. I think these guys were brave. I don't think they were lacking courage. I think they knew who Jesus was. But there was a fundamental problem um, that all of the Jews, including these disciples, had kind of uh, infused into them. Messiah, yes. Messiah's purpose, get us out from under the Romans. Restored uh, Israel to its splendor. That's what the Messiah is going to do. So that helps you interpret a little bit Peter's response in the garden. He says, all right, we're going to get going. As soon as we get this, this going, God's going to step in, and he's going to fight the fight for us, and we're going to be free from, uh, from the Romans. Um, and uh, the, the bottom line here is, as God's chosen people, the Jews felt they should be free both of foreign domination and of uh, ambitious worldly leaders. They were going to have their nation restored to its pristine. We are God's people, and we, we don't answer to Think of John 8, where the Jew says, we have Abraham and our father. We've not been enslaved to anyone. Uh, you know, Jesus could have said, oh, who are all these Romans then? Uh, but they, they were proud. So the Messiah was going to do that for them. That was Peter's worldview. Now let's talk about us for a minute. Peter's worldview defined his Christ view. His worldview of what was going to happen in Israel defined who Jesus was and what he was going to do. He was the Christ, but nonetheless, there was an agenda. How about for us? Think about what's your worldview. Why are you following Christ? I want purpose and meaning. I want a cause. Okay, that's noble. I think we all want purpose and meaning. I think we all have a, want to have a cause. We want to have a reason to get up in the morning. Maybe another thing, and you can fill in the blanks. These are just things to, for you to think about. Uh, God will bless me with X. If, if I'm a Christian, if I'm a faithful Christian, God's going to give me uh, financial well-being. He's going to give me this. He's going to give me... And so we, we quote scriptures like, take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, that means that if I become a Christian, I get what I want, right? So we, we take our world view and we slap Jesus on top of it and said, this is how I'm going to get there. I want to feel good about myself. I agree. I want to feel good about myself too. I want to feel that, that, that you know, I'm, I'm coping with life well. I want to feel like I've got my ducks in a row. But 
if Jesus is the way that we intend to do that, and that's our motivation in following him, our worldview is defining our Christ view. I want a good marriage. I want good kids. I want a job. I want this or that. Being a good Christian, that's the way it's going to happen. God's going to bless me, etc. The bottom line is that for many of us, Jesus becomes the means to an end. Let that sink in a little bit. What is your agenda in life? Why do you follow Jesus? I'm not trying to talk anybody out of it. I'm just saying, dig down deep a little bit. Something happened in the mile between the garden and the courtyard that really rocked Peter's world. If something, if the rug gets pulled out from underneath us, in our expectations of how life is going to unfold, we better have the right Christ view. And it better inform and instruct and control our worldview if we're going to stand the test of time. Amen? Let's talk a little bit about Jesus here. Uh, back in verse 19 and, and John chapter 18, we won't take the time to read back through it again, but... Uh, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And so if we look at that, the high priest he went to is Annas. Typically in a court such as this, there's actually, they, you don't talk to uh, the one charged. They stay silent. The witnesses are brought in. And believe it or not, the, the way things went is the witnesses uh, uh, defending the person, were the ones that were heard first. And then those accusing would be heard later. So Annas is on, on very shaky ground here to just talk directly to Jesus and start interrogating him. The way this would go is witnesses would be brought in. And so Annas has, has an agenda here. He wants to talk to him about his disciples and his teaching. Now remember, there's hundreds of Roman soldiers that, that brought Jesus in. Why would they do that? Well, the Jews had the Romans believe, you got an insurrection on your hand. There's something big about to blow up in your face, and if we don't go take care of it tonight, it's going to spin out of control. They had, they had Roman soldiers embedded in various parts of, of their domain, but particularly here, here in Jerusalem, there was a large contingent of, of Roman soldiers, especially around the time of Jewish holidays. This was the Passover. The Romans were on high alert. If anything's going to start up, it's when the Jews have this nationalistic frenzy associated with their, their, uh, their festivals and their holidays. So they swooped in. Now Annas is looking for some, some juicy meat to substantiate this, right? So he talks to Jesus and says, tell me about your disciples. How many do you have? Where are they? And tell me about your teaching. What do you teach them in secret? What's going on behind closed doors? What's the plan? When are you guys going to rise up? When are you going to take over? He's after this kind of intel. So Jesus, you know what he said in the garden? In chapter 18, he says, I told you I am he. If you seek me, let these men go. The chapter before in John 17, he's praying. He says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them and none of them have been lost except the son of destruction 
And even earlier in John chapter 6, he says, and this is the will who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up at the last day. Jesus is totally focused on protecting his disciples. Not because they had something to hide, but because the Jews had this perspective about them. So Jesus is protecting his disciples by saying, hey, I taught openly in the synagogue and in the temples. All the Jews came together. Everything I said in secret, I said there. My teaching was completely transparent. It's public domain. You know what was said. Go ask the people that heard me. That's my teaching. So, quite simply, Jesus' Christ view, if we can call it that, was to carry out his Father's agenda by words, by actions. Remember earlier in John, it says, my food is to do the will of my Father who sent me. And as we just saw, it's to care for those under his charge, to carefully care for his disciples. And then always to speak what is right, openly and plainly as we just read in John 18 in his discussion with Anne. That's Jesus' Christ view. That's, he, if, if, if we're following Jesus, if we're following in his footsteps, if, if, if our heart's desire is to be conformed to the image of Christ, then this becomes our Christ view as well. Let our Christ view define our worldview, carry out the Father's agenda, Ephesians 2.10, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared in advance that we should walk in them. Carry out the Father's agenda for your life by actions. Our food is to do the will of our Father in heaven. Care for other disciples. Jesus set the precedent here. And then to the lost world around us, care for them as well. I'm not excluding them from that care, but speak what is right. Preach the gospel plainly openly, unfettered, say what's right. This is the Christ view that we need to have. And that way, if things fall apart, if the rug gets pulled out from under our our feet in some instance, then, hey, my worldview, the way I interpret life, is based on who Jesus was. This is not going to take me out. There's some incredible examples in this room, amazing people. Ruth and I had had uh, dinner uh, about a week ago with some tremendous friends I've known for many years. Uh, he has uh, some, some very hard uh, illnesses to deal with that, that have really come into his life since I've known him. And, and they are the type of things that would leave others bitter towards God. That, they would, that they, would, they would be upset that God didn't come through for them. But he's taken his Christ view and overlaid it on top of his illnesses and says, this is how God intends to lead me through in my weakness. There's so many other examples we can go through. I know you're going through hard times. I know you have aging parents. I know that financial issues, I know there's hardship. But if your agenda is, Jesus is going to fix that for you and take it out of your way because you're a good little disciple, guess what? Maybe it won't. One of us is likely, you know, statistics say, you know, we're going to contract cancer. We're going to contract, you know, an illness that will take us out. Um, You know, maybe quickly. My brother-in-law had uh, um, um, pancreatic cancer. 
his demise was, was very fast, very painful. It can happen here. But where's our faith going to be? Are we going to look at Jesus and say, Jesus, you failed me. Or are we going to say, this is God's will for me, to endure and stay faithful and to push through with the Spirit of Christ within me. We're going to wrap it up just uh, looking a little bit forward. We look at this denial. Go one week later. We won't turn here in John 21. You can read it yourself. You know the exchange. Jesus comes by the sea, uh, meets up with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Yes, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you really love me? Yes, you know all things. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. If Jesus' goal was to protect his disciples on chapter 17, what did he charge Peter with doing? Take this up. This was my charge. Now it's yours. You take care of my sheep. You take care of, of your brothers and your sisters. Now Peter also does, or Jesus does something in this exchange that I just realized this morning. It just blew me away. Starting in verse 18, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Goes on to say, he said this to show Peter what kind of death he would suffer. Crucifixion. Does that sound familiar? When Jesus, in Matthew 16, says, we're going to Jerusalem, the Son of Man will suffer, be handed over to chief priests and the officials, uh, be tortured, and be put to death, and raised three days later. Is there another disciple that Jesus tells, here's your future? You're going to go, and you're going to suffer, and you're going to die? Jesus replicates his own path in life. Peter, there's a lot of suffering and death awaiting you. That's going to happen. Of course, Peter said, well, what about this guy? <laughs> if I leave him, that's, that's my business. But you, you know. So I think Peter singles, or Jesus singles Peter out and says, you are taking my mantle upon you. You will be suffering going forward to death. And we, and we know from history and, and uh, the, the record of martyrs that, that Peter was actually crucified, but he chose to be crucified upside down because he felt he was unworthy of the same type of death as Jesus. That's, that's about one week later, give or take. This one we know, this is Pentecost, which by definition is 50 later in Acts 2. Part of Peter's sermon to thousands of Jews around him. When was the last time he had crowds of thousands around him? It was facing the Romans. This is thousands of Jews that are wondering what's going on. He says, let all of Israel, the house of Israel, all of you. If he was from Virginia, he'd say, all y'all. Therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Wow. Not a wimp. What changed? His Christ view. His Christ view drove his worldview. He understood. Remember that, that little saying I, I referenced earlier where uh, we talked about Peter couldn't really follow Jesus until Jesus died for him? Jesus died for him. All of a sudden, it made sense. 
Peter's worldview was brought into focus. I'm going to skip that one. Well, no. This is so good, I can't skip it. Um, out of a, a, a commentary by D.A. Carson, both for John's readers and for the early church generally, this is not Peter's final scene, referring to John 18. As serious was his disowning of the master, so greatly also we must esteem the grace that forgave him and restored him to fellowship and service. And that means, both in John's gospel and in our lives, that there is hope for the rest of us. Amen. No matter where you are, no matter how down you feel, I don't know if you're personally on the road right now between, between the garden and the courtyard. I don't know what your, where your spirits are. Get with somebody. Put, to, put your worldview aside. Get your Christ view on. Let that inform and direct your worldview. And we want to be there for you. Let us know how we can help you with that. God didn't mean for us to grapple with these things in isolation. Get some help. Be open. Be vulnerable. Finally, you guys remember back January uh, uh, 1985, We Are the World? Remember the, the, the song for uh, Africa support? So, it was in uh, Texas, or in, in uh, uh, A&M, uh, I almost said Texas A&M, that's wrong. A&M Recording Studios. Uh, Quincy Jones was the producer. Lionel Richie, Paul Simon, Michael Jackson. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, okay. Four, <laughs> 46. Now, these guys, of course, you know, uh, especially uh, Whitney Houston, of course, all of these are just very gentle, you know, unassuming people, right? You know? 46 of the biggest egos in the show business, okay, come together. The sign above the door said, check your ego at the door. And they had an incredible time recording the song, We Are the World. January, January 28, 1985, let's fast forward about 35 years. February 9, 2020, Hampton Roads Church, Peninsula. Check your worldview at the door, please. 200 disciples come in and they say, okay, is my worldview driving my Christ view? Are the circumstances that I want to see happen in my life, are they my hidden agenda in following Christ? If so, I'm setting myself up for an incredible fall leading up to and including the denial of Christ himself. Does my Christ view drive my worldview? Does my understanding of Jesus the image of God, whom I, through the power of the Spirit, will be conformed to that image. I will be brought into His likeness from one degree of glory to the next, 2 Corinthians 3. Does that passion for that drive everything about me, including my worldview? Read Philippians and what Paul thought about worldview, thought about the things that he had accomplished. said, all of these are rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. On the peninsula this morning, let's let our Christ view drive our world view. Let's take that deep look inside. Let's walk that mile with Peter. 
And then after the resurrection of Christ, the recovery that Peter had and in Acts chapter 2 to go from denying Christ to standing in front of thousands and say, this, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. With incredible boldness throughout the rest of the book of Acts, let's be that way in the Hampton, uh, in the Peninsula region. Amen?